A decorated firefighter, a dedicated dad, and an optimistic husband, his family knew that they may lose him suddenly, but they never predicted the cause would be murder. Late one night in 2016, police responded to frantic 911 calls from a dirt road in Texas. When they arrived, the only witness began giving details that just didn't add up. This week's episode is The Murder of Robert Pointer. Fills with dread, probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. This one was suggested to us by our Getting Into It tier Patreon subscribers. Y'all voted, and this is the one you chose. And whenever it was suggested to us, they said, the footage is going to make you incensed and angry. (laughs) And that was an understatement. The amount of times I had to pause 48 hours in Dateline when they showed the footage and just scream out loud. (laughs) And Paris was like playing video games while I was watching on my laptop. And he said, I got to move because I have to see what what are you so mad about? And I started telling him and he was, I mean, he felt the same. He was like, ooh, oh. It's a rough one, um, especially when you watch it knowing what you know now, mm-hmm. just how diabolical and sinister the whole act was mm-hmm. that this uh, woman that we will talk about, Chasey, was responsible for. It's... um. It's a sad one because it's one of those things that seems really this guy just stumbled into a web of shit that this woman uh, wove all around her. Yeah, you always talk about a sliding doors moment or whatever. And it's one of those where you just could not know when you meet a new person that it will lead to this in your life. And also the photographs of. Uh, the victim in this case, Bob to his friends, Robert to his one of his his second wife, but most people called him Bob or Bobby. Just him like holding a little girl that he saved from a fire and all of his fire buddies and everything. It's just never uh, it's never something you would expect as a family. I think if your family's first responders or you know you work, you're like, okay, dad's gonna go out for a late shift and he's gonna have to run into a burning building. That is quite a risk, Mm -hmm. but this is not the type of risk that, you know, you would ever dream of as a family member. This isn't how you would think your firefighter loved one would die. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a it's a rough one. And we'll link all the um, the body cam footage. Man, body cam footage doesn't lie. So that's the thing is when you go to trial and then there's all this body cam footage, it's real hard to. Um, change your story or say like I didn't say that or Mm -hmm. it's like well we have a lot of footage that you did do all of these things oh yeah it remembers a lot of he said she said from anybody you know if you're like well the police told me this or they never told me this it's like okay well rewind it to this timestamp because I'm pretty sure this did Mm -hmm. happen or like oh wow it didn't you're right so I think it's a game changer and everybody all the all officers should be wearing them Mm -hmm. and this happened not too far from us Uh, Royce City is for some reason, I feel like I was out there not too long ago. It's just off of 30. It's between yeah. here and Greenville. You just keep on going 30 past 
you know, past Forney and it's uh-huh. right yeah. off the highway out there. I knew a person that lived out there and it's now growing more. Mm-hmm. I, I know, you know, back in the 90s, it was literally just farmland and now they are building up subdevelopments and things like that. And I had a, a friend had a house out there and then it was they were like one of the only subdevelopments. They were kind of like the house at this end of the street that you just had to drive through farmland. And now I think it is developing more and more just because it's a, a suburb not too far from Dallas and the land Land's not expensive. Yep. Well, we will talk about all of that and more in this episode. And thank you to everyone in the Getting Into It tier for voting on this one. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into it. Robert Pointer III was born April 30th, 1969 in Utica, Michigan. The middle child between two loving sisters, Bob was described by his mom as a bit of a mama's boy who kept a close relationship with his family. His sisters described him to NBC as the family peacekeeper, who was naturally non-confrontational. Often described as a big teddy bear, Bob was just over 6 foot 4 inches and nearly 300 pounds. He married his high school sweetheart, Amy, in 1980 and began working for the fire department in University Park, a small city inside of Dallas. Bob was well-respected by his colleagues and eventually rose in the ranks to a captain. He was a leader to the other firefighters in his unit, a group Bob considered a second family. His mom told NBC that she talked with her son sometimes 10 to 15 times per day, and he assured her that should anything happen to him, the other firefighters in his unit would ensure she was cared for. And that was a very sweet interview with his mother, and she talked about when she said uh, that they spoke on the phone 10 to 15 times a day, Josh Mankiewicz from Dateline was like, I'm sorry, 10 to 15 times. And she said, oh, yeah, yeah. She said, no matter, you know, whatever he's doing, just he call to me. check in. I'm sure if you're your son, your kid, no matter how old they are, if they have a job that is inherently dangerous, you want to call and check in on them a lot. Or he knows, you know, to to call her several times a day to let her know, like, I'm OK. We just went on out to a house, but I'm OK. So. It's um hit her interview and then the other firefighters too oh. on forty eight hours from their interviewed. It's just heartbreaking to see these these men that put on this tough persona, you know, most of the day just break down because this is so unexplainable and something that nobody ever thought that they would have to be facing. And he that's that was the only battalion he was ever a part of. I mean, for yeah. 19 years, his entire professional career, and many of the other guys were like, no, we started at the same time. I mean, it's your 20-year, all-day, mm-hmm. everyday best friend that you see. I mean, it just ripped away. Yeah, they're, it's You're right. It was very uh, it, tearjerker to watch them yeah. crack and say, like, I just if I don't think about it, it's okay. And then, then I get to thinking about it. And it's definitely, like you said, they're prepared maybe for like losing a buddy in battle, like whatever, you know, we were out there fighting the fire together. But something like this was just unbelievable. Firefighters are a special breed. Kudos to anyone that chooses that profession. It's uh, admirable, honorable. And the bond that they all have it transcends just coworkers. I mean, your life is literally in your coworkers' hands, and mm-hmm. you know that going into stuff. So, you know, you have this this camaraderie that is not really matched in other professions, and to lose one of your own, it is like losing a family member. And I'm sure that that's a way that you can sleep at night is to know, okay, well, if anything does happen to me, they will take care of my mom, my yeah. wife, my girls. Like, I'll that will at least be okay. Mm-hmm. While married, Bob and Amy had two daughters together, Natalie and Nicole. 
His colleague at the fire station told 48 Hours. His girls were number one on his list always. By all accounts, the Pointers seemed to be living the dream. That all changed in December of 2007 when Bob was introduced to a dental assistant through a mutual friend. Her name was Chasey Taylor Mormon, and the 20-year-old pursued the 38-year-old Bob, showing up to the station often to see him. Eventually, Bob got a second cell phone and began an affair with Chasey. I talked to somebody who used to work in law enforcement. I said, is this kind of, you know, a usual thing, you know, where they show up at the station? Or, and this person said, yeah, I had it happen to me where it's something about the profession, the badge, mm-hmm. it's an attraction. And I mean, you're, you feel taken care of, they're a protector, a, a savior. Yeah, I mean, I get it for sure. Yeah. Well, if you're showing up and you, she says that he told her he was separated. Mm-hmm. Everyone else says she pursued him hard and fast. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we can't fault him for, uh, you know, choosing this path. Even if he chose to have an affair, certainly that doesn't mean that he deserves to be gunned down in cold blood. No, definitely. And you're right. His colleague said, yeah, she would come up. We noticed she would come up here kind of on her own. Mm -hmm. So for her to say, oh, well, he was really, you know, there's multiple versions of the story. And usually one version is Chasey's and the other version is everybody else. Mm hmm. Unsurprisingly, Bob and Amy's relationship suffered because of his affair. Amy told 48 Hours that she suspected infidelity when Bob started spending more and more time away from home, often making excuses up for why he needed to leave the house. His behavior had also changed. Once talkative, Amy said Bob began communicating less, and when he did speak to her, his responses were short. When their daughter Nicole discovered her dad's second cell phone, Amy's suspicions were confirmed. On April 9th, 2009, their 20-year marriage was legally over. Finding your dad's second cell phone is, oh man, that's rough. That puts you in an awkward position on so many levels. Yeah, I think we never want to think about our parents doing anything, Mm -mm. much less with anybody else. And then, because especially if your dad is your hero, it kind of, it puts a little dent in that image that you have of him. I mean, I don't think it totally destroys it, but it is like, Oh, really? Yeah. Like, you just kind of wish it never happened. Yeah, and his girls say in interviews, he was the best. He was Mm -hmm. kind, attentive, supportive, Mm -hmm. loving. Even his ex-wife never speaks ill of him. No. You know, and is almost, you get the impression that if he were still around, they'd probably be back together. She seems very, like, like, this seemed like it was... While it was a long blip, a blip on the radar of their relationship, which in another world, perhaps things would have gone differently and they would have gotten back together. Yeah, I got the same the same uh, feeling from her, just the warmth that she talked Mm -hmm. about him. And you don't normally see that with an ex-spouse if it was infidelity or something like that. And it was almost kind of like, you know, bygones. We've built this life together. um, But... Whatever Chasey was doing, which we'll see later, her M.O. is kind of this move in, sexually manipulate someone, use them for her purposes and discard them. When somebody's powerfully manipulative like that, you know, you're you kind of go, well, if that's what's going to make him happy, okay, And you have to you know let him go. And Amy told 48 hours, you know, we'd been married 20 years. He has a 20 year old girl come in and start giving him attention and he you know just decided to see where that led 
for a 38-year-old man to be getting attention from a good-looking 20-year-old girl, that's can be hard to compete with if your marriage is already on the rocks. Maybe that's kind of the tipping point. Yeah, you have some distance or whatever, and then you're getting attention from wherever mm-hmm. else. One month after Bob was officially divorced from Amy, Chasey announced that she was pregnant. She and Bob were going to have a little girl, his third daughter. They were then married in December of 2009, though Bob had his new wife sign a prenuptial agreement that meant she got no assets in the event of their divorce. Which was important because he was a fire captain 19 years in uh, on the squad and the battalion that much. You're making over six figures. You know, you got this pension. You've got assets Are that you, you really? built up. Yeah, they said he was oh, making... Oh, wait, a, yeah, six figures. Six yeah, figures, yeah. Right. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, doing really well, you yeah. know, and so you want to say, um, I hope you like me for me and you don't like me for right. my salary and we'll prove it. Just sign this prenup. Yeah, and also if you've built, like, the majority of your career without someone and you have children, you want that to go to your kids, you yeah. know, and perhaps even some to your ex-wife if you're on good terms because she helped you while you were building your career, too. Yeah, raise the kids while you were building wealth. Mm-hmm. The marriage was not always perfect. Chasey told Peter Van Sant of 48 Hours that three years into their marriage, the spark had faded. Nothing really set it off. We slept in separate bedrooms. I never felt he loved me like he could have. He loved his ex-wife a lot, and I felt like she still had a lot of him. Chasey also told Van Sant that Bob had begun taking steroids to help with his testosterone levels and that the meds had made him violent. According to Chasey, her husband mentally, emotionally, and physically abused her. Claims that others say are completely false. The fact that he was taking testosterone replacement and uh, human growth hormone and all that, and her allegations that it made him aggressive and violent, first of all, no one else saw that. But that's not to say it didn't happen, you know, but no one else saw that. But also, medically speaking, that's if the dosage is correct, it's to bring your testosterone Mm -hmm. back to where it was, not, well, your normal levels of testosterone, now you're going to get all juiced up and crazy and freak out on people. And so it seems like that was something for her to latch on to is like a why. But uh, that was a, uh, she was really pushing that narrative. Yeah. And it's a dangerous and damaging narrative to push and his family that some one of his daughters even lived with him for a while said i never saw any abuse again like you said that's not to say it didn't happen there were never any police reports no family or friends ever said they saw anything or heard anything in fact they said quite opposite that they he never even got mad but she sure did like to tell all of her lovers that he was beating her regularly. That seemed to be almost the only people that she would tell. Yes. That story too. During this time, Chasey began a strict diet and exercise routine, eventually losing over 100 pounds. She told 48 Hours that Robert no longer found her attractive after she lost the weight and that she instead began searching for male companionship online. And his mom, who talked to him 10 to 15 times a day, told the opposite story and said that when she lost that weight, she said, he never really talked much about their marital issues, but he slipped once when she lost that weight. And I said, oh, you know, that's good for her. Does she feel better? And she goes, Bobby told me, well, he didn't lose it. She didn't lose it for me. And Mm -hmm. kind of made this comment like, well, she lost it for the guy she's meeting online. Yeah. Yeah. And she tells Van Sand in the interview, you know, kind of almost alludes to, well, 
he was abusive and I did this for me. Mm-hmm. I was going to take care of myself and I was going out there meeting people for me and I wasn't going to live in his shadow anymore was something she said. So a way to either sleep at night with your own conscience or just to put this narrative out there that I was being abused and felt terrible about myself. I did this for myself and then I went out and started living my life. And and no two situations of abuse look exactly the same, but some generalities would be a lot less freedom than she had. I mean, he was working a lot. So, uh, you you know, you didn't see the allegations she had of like, oh, he controlled me or he wouldn't let me do stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, he re- he was at work a lot, which mm-hmm. that might be a reason why you want to go cheat on your husband. Doesn't make it right. But right. I don't think that that really tracks with the narrative she's pushing of like, he was this raging, roid rage control freak that didn't let me do anything. It's like she kind of had free run to do whatever she wanted yeah. to the extent that she did a lot she of whatever, did she do wanted. whatever she wanted. A lot yeah. of whatever she wanted. Mm-hmm. Bob's 16-year-old daughter, Natalie, moved in with the couple for a time and discovered... Very sexual and gross. Messages between Chasey and other men on Chasey's computer. In an interview with 48 Hours, Natalie recalled her suspicions that her stepmom was cheating on her dad. While her dad was working overnights at the fire station, Natalie said Chasey would leave to go meet up with various men leaving Natalie to take care of Chasey and Robert's four-year-old daughter. That was very sad because Natalie mm-hmm. said that the, the girl would wake up bawling her eyes out going, I want my mommy. Where's my mommy? And she just had to be like, oh, she's not here. Yeah. And I mean, that's her sister too. So mm-hmm. the 16-year-old is taking care of her four-year-old sister. Natalie said that Chasey would use the excuse a lot of, oh, I'm going to the gym. But she's like, she never left in gym clothes. She never mm-hmm. came back looking like she'd been working out. You know mm-hmm. I mean? If you're going to tell that lie, maybe put a little more effort into it. So <laughs> Pack a bag or something. Yeah, Bring you, some you're sneakers. Just going out, yeah, you just look like you're going out to the club, but you're, oh, I'm going to the gym. It's very sad to think of the kids involved in this, the mm-hmm. four-year-old especially, that she doesn't know what's going on. She just knows her, her mom isn't around when she wakes up in the middle of the night, and her dad is, is off to work. So you think, well, but why is why is mommy gone too? It Two in the morning. Why is she at the gym? Mm-hmm. And why is my sixteen-year-old sister who needs to sleep because she's still in school? I yeah, mean, sixteen she's a is child mature. Herself. But yeah, she's a kid. I mean, yeah. she's. It's fine to have her babysit for a minute, but not. Well, I'm just going to leave overnight. Yeah, it's uh, also pretty ballsy to be like, she's sixteen. She she she's not an idiot. She probably knows what's going on, and it's just. You know, very kind of in your face, like, I'm going to do what I want. If you want to go tell your dad something, you know, like, it's uh, a lot, very cocky and arrogant to think there's not going to be a problem with this. Surely I'm not going to get caught for whatever reason. Like you said, go tell him. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. I have him around my finger, so it doesn't matter. Unable to keep this information from her dad any longer, Natalie told him that she suspected Chasey was cheating on him. Bob then installed a doorbell camera in hopes of catching Chasey in the act. Twelve days before his murder, Bob got the proof he was looking for when one of Chasey's many lovers showed up at the front door. And that's just, that's rough. When you're the, like, ah, she might be cheating, I don't know. And then ding dong, it ain't UPS. No, and there's ring camera footage of it, and it's not Michael Garza, who we'll talk about in a minute. It's another one, Brad Golden. She was... At least four different guys they interviewed that she was having relationships with 
in addition to her husband. So I guess really five at the same time. Who can keep up with that? I don't. The time. It would take a lot. It's just a significant amount of time. I don't respond to text messages from people I like. Right. Much less. Like, you have to message. You're messaging now four different people and trying to raise a four-year-old. Um, although right. not really. Not doing very well. Yeah. And then also your husband. Like you said, who has the time? And her friend of hers told her, said, oh, she's got a cake decorating business on the side, too. I'm like. <laughs> What this woman doesn't Who's sleep? getting their orders? Nobody's getting those in a timely manner. No. Those yeah. birthday parties are going cakeless. Yeah. She's got like... too many dicks she's trying to Juggle. manage. Yeah, she really was. I mean, it was uh and finding them all online, which is uh That's dangerous, a dangerous game. Dangerous move for for real. Who knew that she was the most dangerous of all though? She was. The the footage he shows up, it's the night. And he just rings the doorbell. He later tells cops he did not know she was married at all. No. She had told him she was divorced and had been for many, many years. So he thinks he's just showing up at her house and you see her run out the front door and literally shoo him away. Yeah. Like, get out, go, go. But the damage is already done. It's it's there. None of the the players involved, aside from, you know, Bob, his family, they all seem like good, decent people. But Chasey and the men with whom she was entangled, none of them are going to win a Nobel Prize anytime soon. No, or a um, intelligence quiz. Yeah, they were. I Is mean, that you, a thing? Yeah, you could be. Okay, as IQ, I, a as I burn their IQ, I bring up an intelligence <laughs> like quiz, the old which I don't t- think is even a thing. <laughs> Isn't that what IQ stands for? The I, intelligence quiz. That's true. The that's IQ, that. test your IQ. The intelligence quiz, test your intelligence quotient. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you'd think you ring the doorbell and then she see she knows now that there's a doorbell. Instead of opening the door and going, who are you? Get mm-hmm. out of here and close it and being like, you know, cut it on cam- like off camera. She just is like, get out of here. They're yeah. going to know. It's like, well, we already know, man. Yeah, everybody saw that. Everybody saw that, Chasey. Mm-hmm. Sinister Hood will be right back. Most of you have probably heard us sing the praises of Pros, the world's most personalized hair care. And for those who haven't, we are want to tell you today about the incredible results we're both seeing since using our customized Pros products. We're testing a new camera setup here in the studio, and I was sitting under the new light the other day, and Paris goes, your hair is beautiful. It's so <laughs> shiny. He was like, look at how good it looks on camera. I go, is it the light? He goes, no, that's just your hair. And I was like, Pros. Mm, nice. Well, Pros knows there's more to you than just your hair type. They have given over 1 million consultations with their in-depth hair quiz, which is how we got started. By analyzing over 85 personal factors, Pros determines a unique blend of ingredients to treat your exact concerns. My concern was shedding. I shed like a some kind of wild animal. It's, it's all over the house. And since using Pros, I've noticed a significant decrease in shedding and my hair looks and feels much fuller. It, and it does look much fuller. It's Thank very. You. you showed me the other day. You were like, look at this volume. I was like, ooh, and it's soft too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Pros also has a review and refined feature, which lets you tweak your formulas for any reason, like change of address, hair color, or diet. Now, you, I'm like a one and done person, but you have refined yours. Didn't you try different scents? I did, yes. And I went back to my original scent. So mm-hmm. it was nice to have a little change up, but then you can just go right back. And the site keeps all your information there. So it already knows all your stuff. You don't have to refill the quiz out. You can just make little tweaks wherever you need to. As a carbon neutral certified B Corps, Pros is also an industry leader in clean and responsible beauty. 
All their ingredients are sustainably sourced, ethically gathered, and cruelty-free. They're also the first custom beauty brand to go carbon neutral. If you're not 100% positive, Pros is the best hair care you've ever had. They will take the product back, no questions asked. Pros is a healthy hair regimen with your name all over it. Take your free in-depth hair consultation and get 15% off your first order today. Go to pros.com slash creepy. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash creepy for your free in-depth hair consultation and 15% off. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere at your own pace. You can learn how to develop an original TV series with the Duffer Brothers, improve your drumming skills with Ringo Starr, or learn about hip-hop storytelling with Nas. With over 150 classes from a range of world-class instructors, the thing that you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. Masterclass is accessible on your phone, web, or smart TV, offering classes on a wide variety of topics, all taught by world-class instructors at the top of their fields. Each class is broken out into individual video lessons, usually around 10 minutes long. Members can explore at their own pace, and each class is supported by downloadable materials, class guides, recipes, or more. Learn how to write anything from a book or screenplay to just a letter. Learn how to communicate with your boss or your family. How to make dinner worthy of a Michelin star, or just how to make really good scrambled eggs. Whatever you're interested in, there's a class for you. Y'all know I love David Sedaris, and I was able to take his class on humor writing, and once I finished that, I moved on to Neil Gaiman's class on storytelling, and I also love LeVar, LeVar Burton's class as well. So a number of storytellers, and that is just the tip of the masterclass iceberg. I highly recommend you check it out, get unlimited access to every class, and as a Sinisterhood listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash creepy now. That's masterclass.com slash creepy for 15% off masterclass. They say that hair care is the new skincare, but there's one brand that's taken it to the next level. With a devoted following, Kitsch has created game-changing essentials beauty enthusiasts swear by. Started in 2010 by selling hair ties door-to-door, literally just hustle in a dream. Kitsch is self-funded, female-founded, and now carried in over 20,000 retail locations. Kitsch's bestseller included satin pillowcases, caps, and eye masks, and their satin is vegan and cruelty-free, not like silk, which was made from silkworms. These are so great for your hair and your skin while you sleep. I sleep on mine every single night. I just got two new colors because I originally had queen-size pillowcases. They do king-size pillowcases, too. So now I've got the charcoal gray and king, and I love sleeping on them. It really does make your hair feel less frizzy. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with their heatless curling irons. It's just satin. Your hair looks smooth and curly. You can say bye-bye to heat damage. There are TikTok videos of people throwing away their $600 curlers for this. You'll also love their quick dry hair towels. They work like a dream. You seriously don't even know until you try. You can just put your hair in one of those little scrunchies they have, wet out of the shower in the morning. You wake up, it's dry. It's magic. It's amazing. Kitsch is offering you 30% off your entire order at mykitsch.com slash sinister. That's right. 30% off anything and everything at mykitsch, spelled M-Y-K-I-T-S-C-H dot com slash sinister. One more time, mykitsch.com slash sinister for 30% off your order. Bob continued trying to save the marriage despite his wife's rampant infidelity. His buddies at the fire station wondered why Bob put up with her cheating, only to be told by Bob that he was invested in the marriage, according to 48 Hours. However, it seemed Chasey was invested in something else. 
In April of 2016, she convinced Bob to change his life insurance policy. He made Chasey the 100% sole beneficiary, entitling her to a $680,000 lump sum payment in the event of his death, regardless of the prenup. Uh-oh. This is... I've, I'm sure that this happens in relationships that don't end in murder. I think if your relationship is already rocky and you got some suspicions that things are going on and then this happens, huge red flag. It's the importance of a robust estate plan that is not done. You say that all the time. Yes, and not done in the presence of your other spouse. And if you ever have a spouse does not, you know, regardless of, you know, who's who in the relationship, you know, do not let yourself be pressured into doing something mm-hmm. and guilted or whatever. And I'm sure if he already knew she was cheating and she's like pressuring him to do this, you know, your your mind, if you have a big heart, if you're a forgiving, optimistic person, you might go, well, maybe this will show her that I'm truly invested in the marriage. And if you want to take care of your, you know, minor child, the kid's what, five, four years old at the time, four or five years old at the time, mm-hmm. you know, or maybe and seven. And two teenage daughters well, too. But, um, you know, with her, if the... the my previous assets oh, yeah, are yeah, taking yeah. care if of you that. Wanna, yeah, so, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and you're like, I want to make sure, you know, if Chasey's like, well, I need to be taken care of and the kid needs to be taken care of, trusts are great for that. You know, mm-hmm. it's just one of those where I'm sure at the time in your mind, you're just like, oh, this will be the way that I'll prove to her that I'm cared for. But what it really is, is it just, to me, completely transparent that that's all she was interested mm-hmm. in. Yeah. That she was juggling four dudes. Meanwhile, she just saw him as a piggy bank. She's got with him at so such a young age, too, that that's kind of like her – it's more of her life was spent doing this than not. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the repercussions after that. Like, 20 years old, you get with this guy, and then after that, things start to go downhill, and we'll see. They continue to go downhill. But you're so young to, like – that's how you just, like, start off your adult life. Yeah, just dependent on a person and and lies and yeah. manipulation and abuse. I mean, he she claimed he was abusing her, but the reality was she was extremely emotionally, at least emotionally and mentally abusive to him. Mm-hmm. And because of uh, you know power imbalance, age difference, and things, it's easy for her to spin this narrative that she's kind of the victim. Especially she was shorter, smaller than him after she lost weight. He was this imposing presence, big guy. And so, yeah, I think it's easy if you look at a picture of the two and she wants to go, he's so mean. He's a big, bad bear. He's so mean to me that if you didn't know any better, like all the dudes that she picked up on the internet, you know, they might go, oh, wow, yeah, he does look mean. Not knowing that behind that big, like the biggest, tallest guys I've ever known have always been like the nicest. Oh, yeah, like your brother-in-law. Yeah. Honestly, Every time I saw a picture of him, I thought his eyes look so warm and kind. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't look big. And I mean, he's physically a big dude. He looks like he'd be a great firefighter and just throw somebody over his mm-hmm. shoulder and take him out. But he has like a warmth and kindness, especially when you saw him in the pictures of like the little girl after <sighs> the fire or with his his own kids and stuff. You could tell that he was a really, really nice guy. Yeah, he looked to me, when I looked at him, I was like, he's like a dad of kids I grew up with. Like, you mm-hmm. would be at a slumber party, and he would, like, bring you cookies. Or, like, go, yeah, like, I'll drive you like to the, the blockbuster. Yeah, he goofy dad. Yeah. 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 And she says in the interview, Chasey says, 
when Justin Van Sant asks her, you know, what attracted you to him? She says, he was goofy. He made me laugh all the time. And that's probably true. Mm -hmm. Desperate to make their relationship work, Bob planned a trip for himself, Chasey, and their daughter to go to Mexico in early September 2016. While on the trip, the couple fought, as Bob suspected Chasey was texting one of her many lovers. Chasey denied it, though cell phone records would later later reveal Chasey was doing just that, texting her newest lover, trucker Michael Garza. I just can't do this anymore. And that's what irritated me about her, too, is that she said he was just he kept accusing me the whole trip in Mexico that I was texting someone else. And well, you were. Yes. They're like the DA's like, yeah, we pulled the messages. She was sending these messages, not just to Michael Garza. That was one of them she sent to Michael Garza, but she was texting other guys, too. So she tried to say it was just so rude of him to make that assumption. That was right, though, Chasey. It was right. I have this whole vision of them being in Mexico and just trying to have fun. And it's just miserable for everyone. But the saddest part is thinking of this little girl who's like the beach. And then her parents just, you know, are fighting and who knows, screaming or just cold shoulder, whatever it is. This is one of the more mild texts that they pulled that she was sending to other ones were he's coming for me, you know, any, any day now, I need him gone. I mean, just. I hope he runs out of oxygen during a fire. Mm-hmm. That would yeah. be the best thing that would happen to me. People saying, what do you, what do you want? I'm not a magician. Well, I need one. Well, what would it take for you to leave? It'd be better if he was gone because then um, payouts and custody. I mean, she wasn't even trying to no. really hide it. No, and that's what it was. Is the guy? It wasn't she was just texting, oh, I miss you and I want to bang you. It no. Was, she was texting, I'm miserable. I'm, I need help. I need you to get rid of him, take care of him because of benefits. And she yeah. used the term benefit. Benefits, that's what it was, yeah. Which is that lump sum policy. Yes, oh, yeah. And, you know... Uh, saying, I'll get custody of my daughter and Mm -hmm. stuff. She had these men around her, in my opinion, for the sole purpose of, I'm going to find one schlub that's going to do this for me. So you just, it's like spaghetti at the wall method. You're like, Mm -hmm. well, if I got to sleep with all these guys to get them, you know, under my thumb, and then one of them will do this for me, it's worth it. Yeah, I mean, one doesn't want to make the assumption, but the thousands upon thousands of messages paint exactly that picture. Her primary method of communication with these men, aside from meeting up in person, was sending thousands of messages, Mm -hmm. and they all said the same thing. Like you said, she would go fishing. She'd start talking to him, tell him, oh, man, you know, first flirt with him sexually, then turn to, oh, my gosh, it's so bad. You know, my husband is such a monster. And then from there go, so... It'd really be good if he was dead. And when Mm -hmm. the first, you know, the three that we've seen their messages for were like, I don't know. I'm not, I don't look good. And, you know, I'm not going to jail. Like, I don't know. She would move on to the next one, move Mm -hmm. on to the next one or keep pushing. Oh, okay. Well, it's really bad though. Don't you want to help me? To get them to, yeah, to manipulate them further. It's, it's disgusting to think about it. And then when you know that, and then you see her in this interview, just weeping, talking about how you know she loved him and none of this was supposed to happen you're like bitch you orchestrated this whole thing i mean you're really watching a sociopath in action like just be able to like turn on the waterworks but there's not really emotion behind it it's just like well this is what i need to do now and it seems very performative her the whole body cam footage i'm like 
I, I would be if if I didn't already know she had planned this, I would watch that. And if somebody was like, she had nothing to do with this, I'd go, there's no way. Right. Yeah. She had to have. No, I mean, this isn't even like good acting. No, it's very bad acting. And I did love Peter Van Sant on 48 Hours because she's he goes, well, everybody said you did this for the money and that, you know, you really never really loved Bob. And she's like, well, and he goes, it was true, wasn't it? I mean, he is a bulldog and I love him for it. He not does back. not let her get away with shit. And he's like, look, look at me. Look at me. And tell me the truth. Isn't it time to tell the truth? And she sticks by her story, but it's very apparent that he's he's not buying it, as no. is nobody. No. Once they arrived back home, the trip to Mexico seemed to have sealed the deal for Bob. He messaged his attorney on Facebook asking about divorce. He told the lawyer, I've tried and tried, but I think I want to file first and keep custody. When asked if Chasey was cheating, Bob replied, Kind of do think so, but a lot of lies lately, and I'm tired of it. Chasey saw this exchange, and in fear of losing her daughter, went to Garza's home to vent. And that sucks for him that you think yeah. you're having a private conversation with your lawyer, and it was through Facebook Messenger, so if you're logged in on, you know, the home computer, or if she happened to know the password or whatever, mm-hmm. it's so hard, so. That's how the stepdaughter found she- that Chasey was cheating, too, because she left her Facebook up. Yeah. Everybody is doing stuff that can be traced so easily yeah. that you whenever I see things like this where it's just like blatant cheating, no attempt at hiding it really, that all that tells me is like this person thinks they're untouchable, they're narcissistic, they think that you know, um everyone's going to believe their story. And it's just delusional. Yeah. And especially just how she's meet Chasey was meeting people on Facebook and messaging all those same people on Facebook, just keeping everybody straight. It's all the same app. It's like, but how do you right. have a job and also do this and also be a mom or a wife or anything? I mean, it's she wasn't doing any of it well. So I guess you, yeah. you can't do all of that and you shouldn't. No, but yeah, it's it, this really bummed me out because he thought he was in a safe place messaging yeah. his lawyer. And this really, I think, is what shot her into orbit. When he says, I want to file first and keep custody, does whoever files first have an advantage when it comes to custody? Or is he just saying, I want to be the one on record to say, like, because she's cheating, I'm filing, and therefore the judge might grant me custody? Well, you usually, whenever you file, there's uh, temporary orders in place that says, okay, nobody can take all the money out of the joint account, or nobody Mm -hmm. can sell the house or burn the house down or whatever. And part of that is also, if you have a small child, what is going to happen to the child? Who's going to have custody? And if you ask for that, and if he were to make a filing that says, I am a... uh, pillar of the community right who captain at a fire department yes. have been for 20 years stable job stable and it's looking how things look on paper she doesn't look very good if right. he said i have this doorbell cam footage that there's men coming in and out of the house it's not a safe place for my daughter i would think he would probably be more likely to get mm-hmm. custody who knows you know it's sometimes people think that you know they say well judges are inherently biased towards the mom so the mom's going to get it but if you file first and say let me lay out why this is dangerous for our daughter to stay with my ex-wife or my soon to be ex-wife you have you do have a better uh, crack at it than yeah. if you just let her go well we'll let her file and see what she says yeah 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 that makes sense 
On September 9, 2016, just days after returning from Mexico, Chasey and Bob planned to meet at a local jack-in-the-box for tacos. Chasey left Michael Garza's house and texted Bob telling him she was just a few miles away. He confirmed he had already arrived at jack-in-the-box and was waiting. Chasey texted back. She had run her jeep off the road and needed Bob's help getting out. Bob called her and assured her not to worry. He was on his way to help. This is where, and I think the whole time we've seen fleeting images of Chasey's manipulation, but in particular, I think this is so sadly manipulative because Jack in the Box tacos was like their inside joke that when he would work Mm -hmm. late shifts, they would go together to get Jack in the Box tacos. So she's messaging him like, I want to get back together. I want to make things right. Meet me at the Jack in the Box and we'll make it all right. And then saying, I've been stranded, knowing he is a natural born helper, first responder, savior that that's absolutely he's not going to go on his heartstrings playing to his emotions knowing he's gonna go into like firefighter mode protector mode he's not gonna go well tough shit sorry about your jeep i guess i'll eat tacos alone i mean she knows how he is and so this to me just shows the depths of absolute just sick manipulation that she was willing to do yeah i didn't know that about the tacos but that makes it extra sad that also makes more sense when she later says he showed when he came to help me, he was wearing the cologne that he first wore when we got married and he had never worn it since that day. And I even made a joke about it. So he probably was thinking, we're going to get tacos. We're doing the thing. That's our thing. I'm okay. We're getting back on track. I'm going to wear this perfume, you know, maybe she'll smell it and remember how much we were in love. Having no idea, he's literally walking to his grave. Yeah. And and that made me extra sad because, again, he got the message. The message of let's go get tacos meant, Mm -hmm. well, I'll put on the cologne so she'll know. Mm -hmm. And it's these little trappings of, like, what you could tell he was a romantic guy. Yeah, yeah, And that she just took full advantage of it. Yeah, for sure. Bob arrived at County Road 2595, an unnamed rural road in Royce City, Texas, primarily used by farmers for their tractors. He determined he was unable to drive his truck up the road the half mile to where Chasey's Jeep was stranded. So Bob approached the Jeep on foot and sat in the driver's seat. He turned on the Jeep and suddenly was shot in the right side of his head with a shotgun. Chasey was covered in blood. She ran with her cell phone, leaving her purse in the Jeep's floorboard, and called 911. When EMTs arrived on scene, Chasey was placed in the ambulance to be checked for any medical conditions. She continued hyperventilating and asked if her husband was okay. However, the more she talked with officers on scene, the less her story made sense. Sergeant Meek told 48 Hours that her story of an assailant murdering her husband in cold blood with no motive like robbery or car theft didn't make sense. Nor did it make sense that a murderer would have left a witness alive. And there's two 911 calls of her. The first one, she's just running and saying, send the police, send the police, and it cuts off. And the dispatchers can ping your cell phone. And so it tells officers, you know, she's off of this rural road. It's like, a, you know, it's nobody really should be out there. No, and the footage on 48 hours, it's and in Texas. We have a lot of these, so it doesn't look weird to us. But to other people, it might be like, what is this even? But it's just a road literally for farmers to get to their crops and stuff. So it's not paved. It's completely dirt. It had rained. So it was very muddy. There was still you can see in the body cam footage, the the tracks and there's 
pools of water and stuff. It's very, very muddy. Cars don't even drive down there. Mm -mm. So it's very strange that she is even there. And the cops ask her, like, why are you on this road? And she's like, I missed my other turn. Yeah. So, well... Yeah, I mean, it's possible you could do that, but it was all very unlikely. Yeah, it was a weird place for her to be and for him to be. And she said, oh, well, he was I was driving and he texted me. And then when I looked at my phone to text him back, that's whenever I accidentally drove down this ditch. But it was like a half a mile in Mm -hmm. and then she drove in a ditch. But then the initial so she calls 911, gets cut off, calls back, says, you know, my husband's been shot. The officers arrive on the scene. The initial footage is from dash cam and she's running back and forth on this yeah. road. She's got mud up and down her legs and Doesn't she's going, shoes on. she's like, my husband, hit my Jeep, my Jeep ran off the road and just hyperventilated screaming. And then the officer's like, okay, calm down. Let me go check because they've just been told. Yeah. My husband was shot. I'm okay. Well, they're like, who did it? And she's he like, goes, oh. get, get over here. Come on. And he yeah. like runs her back to the car. Cause for all they know, there's an armed person yes. just lurking in the shadows. Somebody with a gun willing to take a life is still out there lurking. Yeah. And he's like, get in the car, get in the car. And then EMT show up and she just, she keeps it going. I mean, she's like, is he okay? Is oh, my husband? I just yeah. need to know if he's okay. It was very Sherry Papini. Yes. Just this. It seemed very rehearsed at the same time. And they, uh, the prosecutor talks about it, too, in his interview with 48 Hours. There is probably some degree of truth to her uh, her mania, because he's like, it's one thing to talk about having your husband killed. It's another thing to follow through with it and be there when it happens. And yeah. she is covered in his blood. She's, I mean, right about that. So I'm... It's adrenaline, but also just mania and nerves, and it seems like a lot of it's rehearsed, and like she's she's acting how she thinks she should be acting. It doesn't come across as genuine. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. There, It may be that she is like, oh, he is dead. Oh, I wanted this, but I didn't. And then also you're like, well, I need to save my ass now. And also, I just saw somebody, anybody seeing them get shot in the head a foot away from you is very traumatizing when it's your husband and the father or your kid. Yes, you've planned this, but then you just see it happen. So, and none of this is to pity her at all. I'm, my point is that I think most of her stuff was an act, but there are a few moments in the footage where you're, where I'm like, I think that was real. That she was in shock. Like, yeah. Oh, I really did it. Oh yeah. Fuck. Like she, at one point she was in the ambulance and, you know, they're asking her questions and stuff. And she's like, I don't know. And she's like, my husband, I'm covered in my husband's blood. And she just looks down at her arms. And then it looks like a moment of clarity comes over her and genuine, like, oh, fuck, what have I done? Washes over her face. And she's like, I'm covered in my husband's blood. And that part does look like, yeah, you are. Yeah. And now the realization of what you've done is starting to kick in. And this is what Sergeant Meek's like. I think she didn't see that in the dark of night. And when you're in the ambulance, the mm-hmm. ambulance has super bright fluorescent lights. He's like, she looked down at her arms and realized kind of what all had happened. And he just is trying to redirect her to keep mm-hmm. her from, to kind of keep her cognizant and conscious talking to him. Cause she started just going, repeating over and over. This is his blood. This is his blood. I was watching the EMT in the background, watching her just thinking, I wonder if he's thinking this is all a lie. Mm-hmm. This, I mean, it wasn't even the one questioning her. He was just kind of, I I think, and I don't know. I've had friends that are EMTs, but I've never asked them this. I'm sure that they are trained to like, when 
a victim or possibly a suspect is like speaking and watch them, watch what goes mm-hmm. on and see what their body language is. I mean, you can pick up a lot from that and to just make sure that like medically they're OK. But y- you get the feeling that nobody's buying what she's saying. No, because it is so odd. It's such a yeah. weird story. After being medically cleared, Sergeant Meek questioned Chasey as other officers began searching for the assailant who was still at large. On camera, Meek read Chasey her Miranda rights, though she did not exercise her right to remain silent. Over the next several hours, she spoke freely with both Sergeant Meek and Roy City's only detective, Michael Burke. Initially, she told Sergeant Meek extraneous details beyond his questions, saying things like, I was young and stupid when we got married. I didn't want to be married anymore. And we've been having problems. He's trying to take my daughter away. This is all happening while she's sitting in the back of the cruiser. The door's open and he's talking to her. And it's it gives me the same vibes as, oh, gosh, the one we covered recently where she killed her ex-lover from college. Stephanie Lazarus. Yes. When she, it's you start to see like. All of these similarities with people that are making just making up stories to the cops, their mannerisms, the where they look when they're because, you know, I believe there's studies that say, like, if your eye, if you look up in one way, that means you're like trying to think about something. If you look down and to the left, then you're telling the truth or whatever. I'm not a behavioral psychologist, so please don't DM me. <laughs> but it's she has a lot of similarities of just like diarrhea the mouth you just start saying stuff that's not necessary because you're kind of just spiraling out of control one like with stephanie lazarus she was like i took ten thousand photos and i scanned them all well she's saying all that because she's buying herself time to think of a lie yeah and he said that he saw that about her too that she was like hyperventilating and stuttering to give herself time to come up with her next thought yeah or she would go i uh uh, oh i'm sorry and like fake like she was crying probably to sit there and formulate a lie Mm -hmm. yeah yeah but you're right just sit in the back of the cruiser and sergeant makes like okay well you know what else and she's like well he want to take my daughter away and i didn't want to be married and he's just like uh okay and in her interview with 48 hours he says your husband had just been murdered why were you talking about y'all's failed marriage and she's like i don't know i i i was upset which sure but i think in those moments a lot of truth starts to come out too yeah Sergeant Meek found it all odd, telling Dateline. She was giving me too much information. She was telling me things that ultimately didn't make sense for what we were there for. Her behavior was odd, too. Meek noticed. When I wasn't talking to her, she'd calm down. But as soon as I'd start talking to her, she'd get upset again and start hyperventilating. The more I spoke to her, the more it seemed like an act. It was also in the back of Meek's squad car that Chasey first mentioned Michael Garza. When the officer asked if she had a relationship with Garza... Chasey quickly replied, Yes. When Meeks asked if she and Garza had been on a date earlier that day, she said no, claiming that, We hung out. However, moments later, she admitted, We had sex, obviously. Well, yeah, this has gotten away from her quickly. One of my old bosses used to say, I can explain things to you, but I can't understand them for you. And you can... Advise someone of the right to remain silent, but mm-hmm. you cannot make them exercise that right. Um, yeah. What is that? Is that Ron White that says, I had the right to remain silent, I just didn't have the ability? <laughs> and yeah. that is what is yeah. happening here. It's just like, not that I'm ever 
ever in favor of uh, this, a person that's as monstrous as her ever, uh, you know, getting away with what she's doing. But in general, just shut up. I mean, none of this is helping. But again, I think, like we said, she's not out to win a Nobel Prize. So I think she thought, oh, well, um, again, because this person has successfully manipulated people who are as stupid as she or stupider. She probably thought, well, I'll just do the same thing to this guy, this sergeant. I'll just talk to him. I can I can talk to him. I can be sad. Oh, my husband, we had a bad marriage. He was so yeah. mean to me. And I think she thought she'd keep like play the same cards that she's played before. And the cops like, uh, my whole job is just like noticing when people are lying. Right. Although in Roy City, this was like a huge deal because there hadn't mm-hmm. been a murder there in a long time. Mm-hmm. And they're like criminal mischief, drunk people on the, you know, I mean, maybe there's one detective in the town. Yeah, you got one detective. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of it, too, when I watch these types of, like, false confessions or, like, this, just this admissions, you know, um, it's in psychology, They and I think legal stuff, too, they call it, like, an excited utterance when she's just saying things that are truthful and she doesn't have the wherewithal to, like, lie about them at that time. And I kind of think that's what starts to go on, like, with this or... Stephanie Lazarus, you just start to say these things because you it's gotten away from you at that point. And you you don't realize what you're saying is actually implicating you. Mm-hmm. It, but it is true. Yeah, I think you're right. And that that's why in hearsay, you know, if you try to put in testimony and say, oh, well, Chasey said this to me, you'd say, OK, objection. That's hearsay. You're trying to put an out of court statement. You're offering it for the truth of like, I was having sex with Michael Garza today before I went to taco to get tacos at Jack in the Box. But I don't in, in excited utterance has a really specific definition legally. But I think you're right. The reason why it is a hearsay exception is because it's generally accepted that if something you watch some, you know, a truck smash into a brick wall and you go, that truck just smashed into that brick wall. It's like you're so shocked. You just spit out the mm-hmm. truth that I think you're right that, well, we had sex. Like she's just like, she obviously. Kept, yeah, yeah, obviously we had. I was at his house. We had sex. And Sergeant Meek's like, OK, just she just kept on going. Also, while this is all going on. Yeah. So she's texting one of her lovers while her other lover is murdering her husband. Yeah, she really had no shame. Yeah. At the mention of Garza, officers began looking into him. According to Dateline, when they looked up his Facebook profile, they were disturbed to see his profile photo showed him holding a camo print shotgun. However, Chasey told them Garza's job as a long-haul trucker had likely taken him out of town by that time, so officers thought Garza may not be their suspect. Because her story didn't exactly check out, Chasey was taken to Roy City Police Department, where Detective Burke began questioning her. During her eight-hour interrogation with Detective Burke, Chasey's story changed multiple times. First, she claimed she had no idea who killed her husband. She gave the description of a tall, dark, shadowy figure with a weapon. She claimed Bob was shot in the front seat before she even noticed anyone. Then she grabbed his face with her hands, causing blood to drip down her arms. Burke, working his first murder case as a detective, put all his training to use. The blood splatter on her arm did not match her story. That, coupled with the information about her sexual relations earlier in the day and her concerns over divorce, had Burke change his tactics. He confronted Chasey directly about her story's many discrepancies, asking why a killer would let a witness go and telling her outright, I think you're full of crap. 
Chasey protested more until Burke finally pushed her, asking, Who shot Robert? At that point, well after two o'clock in the morning when she had first arrived at the station, Chasey finally cracked. Her hands on her face, through tears, she said, Mike. When Detective Burke asked her to repeat herself louder, she said, Mikey. And began sobbing. Yeah, and that was, that's, Meek Mirandized her on the scene, talked to her till, she called 911 about 10.50, talked to her about, till about 12.30. She got taken to the police station then, you know, it's a couple minute drive. And so they just kept her going. And that's mm-hmm. what cops will do if you don't say, I don't want to talk to you, I'd like a lawyer. They, they'll keep you awake. They'll keep asking questions. They'll keep pushing and they'll keep pushing. And that is what they're trained to do. I mean, he's, this this guy was trained to get a confession and going, would you like to take a nap and think about a lie, a better lie? I mean, if you get her right fresh off the scene and mm-hmm. push and push and push and hammer, she spit it out. I mean, it's exactly what happened. And versus a coerced confession where we see in this case, she wasn't saying, please let me go. I want to go to sleep. She was thinking she was going to save herself and wanted to keep yeah. talking and making up all these stories. And that's when he's just, you tell, he's like, sits back in his chair and he's like, you're just lying to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't, just tell me Cut the truth. The bullshit. We're all tired. We all want to go home and yeah, go to sleep. So let's just stop this. <laughs> I did find it interesting that, and maybe this is how it always is, and I just am not aware of that, but she's giving, talking to them exactly how she looked at the crime scene. She still has no shoes on. She's still covered in dirt and blood. And... Now that you mentioned that of like, they don't want him to be able to sleep, so they get it out of him. If you clean up, it might be easier to like distance yourself from it. But if you're sitting there covered in your husband's blood still, it's a lot harder to lie about that stuff. Exactly. And especially whenever she said, I was sitting there, he was shot out of nowhere. Well, again, Bob's in the driver's seat. If he shot on the right side, yeah. the shooter had to come and her Jeep doesn't have doors on it. Mm-hmm. The shooter came in from the passenger side, which means she had to lean forward or lean back. I mean, she was very close. Close enough that she has splatter on her arm that remained after she fell in a mud puddle. Because you can see from her thighs down to her feet Mm -hmm. are covered, were once wet and then covered in dry mud. And so she's got this blood splatter on her arm that's not the drip that you would see. And he says that to her, you know, well, what you're telling me is that you grabbed him by the face. I don't think you did because the blood powder. She's like, well, I fell in mud. Well, there's still other blood splatter on you Mm -hmm. that indicates a completely different direction of the injury. And so having that is also... So versus having to, like you said, the next day or three days later, having to show pictures and go, well, can you kind of see how this blood is on your arm? It's like right there. I wonder if, and this is something I just thought about, because this, since researching this, I keep asking myself, why would he have shot him from the right side? Because it would have been easier to approach from the driver's side. But I bet it was because she was trying to prevent getting sprayed with all his blood and brain matter. And also in, if there's uh, a, if he misses. That is also true. She, or she, yeah. Or just the bullet continues. They, they got to stop somewhere. So yeah. yeah, that's it. Now, sometimes when I talk things out, I'll be like, Oh, this is even more calculated than I was thinking. Cause to me, like, 
that seemed like a stupid move. It would make their job more difficult. But really, they had thought of that and did that intentionally. And also, you know, if he's hiding in front of the Jeep and she's getting on one side and Bob is getting in the driver's side, if the shooter approaches from the driver's side, you Bob was a big dude, a tough mm-hmm. guy, smart, got a lot of instincts. And if it's in his periphery on the driver's side, he could have jumped out. Because I imagine true. if you're trying to just get a Jeep out, you don't buckle up. So, you mm-hmm. know, you don't even have the second of having to unbuckle that you could just jump out and get him and maybe fight over the gun versus if you ambush him from the other side, mm-hmm. he's got no chance, especially if he's trying to like look out the window to go, well, how's the Jeep stuck now? Well, let me mm-hmm. see, you know, let's maneuver it. And that's what it was in gear because she said she had to grab the Jeep and put it back in park. Yeah, it was because it was rolling. Yeah, it started rolling. Yeah. yeah. So I think you're right. It was very uh, disgustingly calculated to yeah. go, well, I'm going to lie in wait over here and hide. You lure him to the Jeep, and then that's when. Yeah, it's sickening. Mm-hmm. But she says even, you know, when because he couldn't drive all the way to where her car was. So she meets him. They walk back. She knows she's walking him to get executed. Yes. And is joking with him about the cologne that he's wearing because it's what they. How? How? She says she yelled stop at Garza at that point because she, you know, she felt guilty. And Van Sant says, well, why would you have yelled stop if the, if the intention was never for him to be murdered? They were just going to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. She's like, well, I just didn't even want him talking to him at that point. Bitch, you just got caught in a lie. And Justin Van Zandt doesn't play. No, he was paying attention. And he's Mm -hmm. just like, "Mm, that doesn't actually make sense. And then you can tell her, well, I I just, I really, you know, she starts crying again. Mm -hmm. When asked why she and Garza lured Bob out there that night, Chasey claimed it was only to scare Bob, who she accused of abusing her. I didn't want him dead. I just wanted him to know what it's like to be bullied all the time. She went on to say that she had no idea Garza had a gun with him and certainly didn't expect Garza to shoot Bob. However, Detective Burke found this hard to believe, given the size of the gun. Chasey stuck to this version of her story, even claiming that when Garza held the camo print rifle up to shoot Bob, she screamed for him to stop in an effort to save her husband. Yeah, it was such a strange thing for her to go. I had no idea he had a gun at all. I didn't know he had one that night. She said, I was on my phone. I was texting. I mean, I didn't get sucked into TikTok, but I'd like to think that if Tommy tried to put uh, a shotgun in the car with this, I would notice that. Yeah, I'm walking out the door with uh, something bigger. I mean, it's a huge hunting rifle shotgun. I mean, yeah. It's a Mossberg. It's a thick gun. Uh, it's the one from the Facebook fo- photo, the profile. Mm-hmm. And to say, well, I was texting, so I didn't see it. Burke's Probably like, texting either Bob or one of her other lovers. Mm-hmm. With the name of the shooter and the weapon identified, Burke pushed for more details. Chasey then changed her story yet again, this time admitting that the murder wasn't a surprise to her at all. She told Burke that during the weeks prior to the date of the murder, Garza had been talking about killing Bob. She had been at Garza's home before the murder, where she saw that he had set out guns on the kitchen table, which he then loaded into his truck. And this is a, you know, like I said, I've seen coerced confessions. This is not because Burke's just like... Now tell me again exactly how that happened, and then her story would change again. And it's yeah. it gets each time it gets a little bit closer to the truth and a little bit closer to the truth until finally she tells the truth. And I think this is one more step. This still isn't the final thing. One more step. She tries to go, well, 
you know, Mikey did talk about it, but I never thought he would do it. And he did have guns, but I just didn't think he would take him out that night. It's so crazy that I saw him take the gun, but I didn't think that that's what it would be for. Even though I've texted him 10,000 times telling him that I need someone to kill my husband. I need him to be gone. And, and he, he said that he would. And yeah, I mean, it's it, the the lies she knew. She had no shame in, t- in telling her lies at, at all. all. To your point about how this is not a coerced confession, he does a great job of interrogating her, though, because he doesn't push too hard, but he pushes when he needs to. But he doesn't have to do much. And just like people will tell you with negotiations and business, like first one to talk loses. He kind of just sits back and is like, I'll just let you keep talking. If you if I just stare at you, then eventually you're just going to say some more bullshit. No, I mean, versus like the Ryan Ferguson case, you know, watching them, what they did with Ryan and what they did with Charles Erickson, like pushing, you know, putting mm-hmm. entire stories in their mouth. Like first you did this, then you did this. Right. And that's and Charles Erickson was very susceptible and, and vulnerable and going, yeah, yeah. Versus Burke's like, I don't think that's how it happened. And she's like, yeah, you're right. It actually happened like this. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. In her interrogation with Burke, Chasey recalled telling Garza that night that she did not want to be there to watch it. But Garza said she had to be, according to court records. She admitted to the detective that she and Garza had planned to do it that night and that the original plan had been to get Robert to meet her in deep Dallas to make it look like a robbery. For reasons she did not explain, the plan changed that evening and evolved into luring Bob to a deserted dirt road. Chasey told Detective Burke that Garza planned to take Robert's truck and burn it after shooting him. Again, and how are you going to explain that one? They, it's, none of these people are smart. And, you know, it's just these, uh, well, we'll just do this and we'll just do this. And it's like, well, what are you going to tell people when the uh, fire chief's truck is burned up and he's found shot in the head? Like. Deserted road. Yeah, are you going to, and you're his wife, like, what? what's going to happen here? And then they get your phone and see 10,000 texts to this dude saying you need your husband dead. Yeah, and also, and that and having the motive of the life insurance policy mm-hmm. in Paris, when we were watching this, you know, we were both talking about it, and he said, in the long run, and especially for what it was traded for, $680,000 is an insignificant amount of money. Oh, that's yes. not to say... It wouldn't change everybody that's listening, the two of us looking at each other right now included. It would change any of our lives for a time, but it's not yes. unlimited money. It's no. not for the rest of your life. You're not going to go, you know, you're not Bezos rich where you can just, you know, you'll never have to worry about money again. It will do something for a time, but it's so short-sighted and it is such a paltry sum compared to what you've stolen, not just from family, daughters, ex-wife mom but from a community of people that he was helping on a daily basis Mm -hmm. it's such a sad and paltry sum when you look at that number compared to what was lost yeah it's um short-sighted is a good way to put it because uh call me crazy but i'm gonna guess she's not good with money management and i don't think she's gonna invest all of that to where for the rest of her life and her daughter's life they're, they're taken care of. Nah, that's going to be gone within a year. No, she's an idiot and she was going to blow it on dumb shit. Mm-hmm. Not just whatever she was, if she planned on paying this dude or if this guy was a sucker that was just doing it for free, which it could have been that too. But, yeah. you know, we'll run away together with this money and we'll go. Yeah. And it's like, no, you will not. Yeah. Well, and she's probably also 
assuming that she's going to get taken care of by the fire department. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you're not. The motive, Chasey claimed, was to protect her. She claimed Bob was taking testosterone replacement medications that made him violent. Chasey frequently vented to Michael Garza about her allegations of abuse. Chasey said that Garza, infatuated with and fixated on her, decided on his own to murder Bob. He chased... He chased her down after the murder, pushed her in the mud, and took her cell phone, disconnecting the first 911 call and throwing it in the mud. And that's what she tries to change. Again, she's like, well, I lured him out there. He said I had to be there. And then, but I didn't know he was going to kill him. And I really didn't want him to do it. I never even expected it could have happened. And I felt so bad afterwards. He chased me down and pushed me in the mud. And that may be, that, like you said, it may be that she saw that, went into shock, and was like, oh, shit, I have to call 911. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I'm also I think there's like nuggets of the truth like they he very well could have grabbed that phone out of her hand and pushed her in the mud absolutely that might have happened but to say oh he just Garza told me to tell him to come that I needed help and my jeep was stuck on this road which she says in the 48 hours interviews it wasn't stuck like it wasn't even like for real stuck how would you not know that it's just it doesn't seem like she has beforehand thought to herself, this is my story. All of this is going to make sense. I just need to rehearse this and repeat this and it'll make sense. It's just all over the place. Yeah. It's so. It's just so sad again for his family. It really burns me up that a person this stupid could be this malicious mm-hmm. and evil and do a thing that you can't undo and wasn't, you know, was so sloppy and bad about it. And just it's just disrespectful on so many levels. Oh, just, yeah. Yeah, but you're right. It, there's nuggets of truth. So it very well could be that she saw the, the what she had done mm-hmm. because she did do it. You know, she saw what she had For done, sure. looked over and truly did panic and truly did run off. And, and Michael Garza really did take the phone and throw it. I'm also slightly inclined to think, you see what a mess you've made? It's in your Jeep. How are you ever going to explain to anybody why that ended up and so you're just like well we have to call the cops i'm gonna say that a random person did it and that way that'll make sense of why he's in michael you know i'll have this whole story but i don't know that it was like thought out in advance that's interesting because the whole time i've assumed that they had planned to call the cops because like you said how else is any of this gonna get explained what are you just gonna like walk away from your jeep and all this or did they plan on like trying to bury him i had never considered that i assumed the whole time it was to make up this false story Mm -hmm. to the police and everything but maybe that's not what they had agreed upon and then she calls the cops and garza flips out and you know and and does try to stop her and runs off yeah i know you're right sinister hood will be right back the custom framing company framebridge will change your opinion of what true customization really is They measure and handcraft each frame specifically for your piece. So you can frame bridge just about anything. Selfies, game day jerseys, your anniversary dinner menu, or the latest artistic masterpiece. Just go to framebridge.com and upload your photo. If you have a physical piece to frame, they'll send you complimentary packaging to safely mail it in. Preview your item in dozens of frame styles, choose your favorite, or get free designer help. The experts at FrameBridge custom frame your item and deliver your finished piece right to your door. Instead of paying hundreds of dollars at a framing store, FrameBridge starts at just $39 plus free shipping. You can order online or stop by a FrameBridge store near you to work with a designer in person. 
Heather, I have so many pictures of my kids on my phone, and I am notoriously bad about getting them printed or framing them. We do not have any framed pictures of Simon in this house, (laughs) and this is the first time I have admitted that out loud, and I am doing so because this is the magic of FrameBridge. I can just send them my picture and be like, can you send me this framed? Because I will not go get stuff framed. It's just, I, I, I know this about myself at this stage in my life. So this is perfect for me that it just gets sent to me. And all I have to do is hang it on the wall. And no one, Simon doesn't have to know, except for this ad, which don't <laughs> let him listen to it, that you did <laughs> well, not have framed pictures of him until before he ever can listen to it. <laughs> he was nearly two, but Framebridge saved the day. <laughs> Frame your photos or send someone the perfect gift today at framebridge.com. That's framebridge.com. With these admissions, Chasey Taylor Morbin Pointer was charged with conspiracy to commit murder. After her confession implicated Michael Garza, police began searching for him. Two days later, the manhunt ended without incident as Garza turned himself in. He refused to speak with officers or make a statement of any kind. A month after the murder, a a farmer near the crime scene found the camo print shotgun as well as a camo print shirt. The serial number on the gun matched a gun registered to Michael Garza's brother. The wadding found inside of Bob's wound matched the wadding inside the shotgun. And there's more body cam footage of them going out. A farmer was just plowing his field and was like, "Uh uh-oh. And his 911 call, he goes, I think I found the gun, which implies he has already called the cops or like they, you know what I mean? Or the the cops go, hey, you know, there was a shooting out here. If you see mm -hmm. anything, let us know. Yeah, but it's caked in mud, mm-hmm. you know. They ha- so it it had been there for a while, and they said in the inter- uh, the forty eight hours interview too that there was still part of the the shell in his skull, mm-hmm. and the same matter was also still loaded yeah. in the gun. So it's yeah, the gun and the gun they said was still locked and loaded and everything. So to think like it was that quickly discarded like you know not even like anything was tried to to be hidden Mm -mm. but it's also pretty irrefutable evidence that this is registered to garza's brother this is the obviously the gun that did it she's garza's tied to chasey i mean how can anyone dispute any of this yeah i mean i think him turning himself in because they were they were hunting for him they looked for him Mm -hmm. at his mom's house she said oh my boy would never do something like this the SWAT raided his house, but it was empty. And I think mm-hmm. once you realize well, the SWAT's, you know, they're going to get me. He made the right decision to yeah. turn himself in. Once Garza was in custody and Chasey's digital records were explored, the district attorney increased the charges against her from conspiracy to commit murder to murder. Over the course of just a few months between the change in life insurance policy and the murder, Chasey had sent over 10,000 text messages to her multiple lovers, according to court records. Many were to Michael Garza, but additional messages were to three other men with whom she was also having sexual relationships. The messages were all about how Chasey wished Bob was dead and her not so subtly asking her boyfriends to do the deed for her. Of all the men, Garza seemed most enthusiastic to help. After Chasey found him through mutual friends on Facebook, she initiated a conversation with him about his truck. She then turned the conversation to the alleged abuse she was suffering from Bob. Garza did not mince words, texting Chasey, I will fucking shoot his ass, and even seemed to offer to do time for Chasey, writing, I rock an orange jumpsuit. 
Um, so trashy. So trashy. There was no need for it, but uh, Josh Mankiewicz, the D- the Dateline um, host, was uh, he's uh, excellent uh, inter- you know, uh, interviewer, all that stuff, but also very petty. And he was mm-hmm. like, of Garza's uh, text messages riddled with misspellings. <laughs> Just like no need, but I but, mean, it, they were. But also very accurate. Very and accurate. And throw it in there. Burn his ass. He didn't yeah. deserve anything. Yeah, don't, he doesn't deserve any respect. Fuck no. this guy. But, and to me, I was like, either, you know, he doesn't care about text spelling or whatever, or just like so hastily like shooting off these mm-hmm. messages that it's not even like, oh, I'm going to take time to think about it, reread it, then shoot it. It's like, I'll shoot him. I'll wear a jumpsuit. Yeah. I'll do this. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll be right there. Tell me, Tell me when and where and I'll do it. And none of these guys are um, anything to write home about. No, 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 no. I think it was uh, very clear that her interest in them, especially, again, given the extensive nature of the digital evidence against her, that her interest in them was solely, are you willing to have sex with me so I can manipulate you Mm -hmm. and then tell you all this stuff and then get you to, to do a crime because yeah. it wasn't just, Oh, she and Michael Garza got together and they figured it out. I mean, her MO was every single time, find the guy starts flirt with him, start sleeping with him, put on the sob story and then say, well, you know, if he was dead, I'd have a lot of money. I sure mm-hmm. would be really rich if he was dead. We can go on a lot of vacations together if I had that money. And then the first three guys going, ah, I'm not doing that. Come on now. No. I'm not a magician. I can't just snap my finger. She's like, well, you could do something else. And the guy's like, you just do it. And she's like, I don't look good in orange. Oh, God. On June 10th, 2018, Michael Garza stood trial for murder. At his trial, Chasey was offered immunity to testify, but refused. Garza took the stand in his own defense, asserting an all-new alibi that the prosecution had not heard before. Garza claimed he could not have shot Bob Pointer because at the time of the murder, he was on his own property, tending to a cow named Oreo. He said he had given Chasey his brother's shotgun for protection against Bob and was never even on the road that night. Except that his cell phone pinged him on the road that night at the exact time of the murder. Yeah. Uh, none of these people are smarter than the cops. New. No. Or just straight up science and technology. Yeah. Yeah. The jury was not convinced. After a two-week trial, Garza was convicted of murder. He was sentenced to 99 years in prison. For Bob's family, however, they wanted to see Chasey brought to justice as well. With his daughter telling 48 hours. The real battle had just begun. Having investigated Chasey's interest in the insurance policy, the district attorney raised the charges once again, this time to capital murder. Chasey's trial began in June 2019. Her attorneys attempted to push the narrative of Chasey as a survivor of domestic abuse. However, when the district attorney's office attempted to corroborate her allegations, they found zero evidence of any violence from Bob beyond what Chasey had told her lovers. No one who knew the couple could ever recall Bob even getting mad. One member of the prosecution team told Dateline, He's been described as a big teddy bear. And from a prosecutor's perspective, you want to investigate that because you want to know if there's mitigating circumstances. You don't want to get sandbagged at trial. So the uh, two folks from the DA's office said, 
We we asked, we asked neighbors, we asked friends, we asked colleagues, we asked extended family. I mean, he said we really wanted to know if this was really going on because you know that might be a negotiating tactic from her attorneys and say, listen, she really was severely, significantly abused. Could you negotiate it down? And the DA just said we searched and there was nothing. He said, mm-hmm. and I think it was Peter Van Zandt said, how much evidence did you find? And the guy goes zero. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. there just wasn't evidence there for it. And the, no. but her that's like the only thing that the defense attorneys had was to try to pull at the heartstrings. But I think it was so transparent and so much footage and so many statements she had made it. And all there was no way of the text messages. Yeah, she wasn't a sympathetic figure to the jury at all. No, her attorneys seemed a little. Um, I don't want to say. Like they didn't know what they were doing. But the interview with 48 Hours, one in particular just seems like like maybe it was their first uh, murder case. They seem to me in a bit over their head. Yeah, in over their head is a good way to put it. One of them says, well, I think our best evidence to show that she couldn't have done it is the 911 call because why would you have called 911 if you just murdered someone it it was all very like green and kind of uh like that's not a good like Mm-mm. we're we're not that dumb sir to yeah. think that like you can you can say that that's going to work that seems very like it seems real naive to think mm-hmm. oh this is this is a good excuse i look really smart with this it's like that's like the most basic trope of of any like crime show oh it's ridiculous and like you said that it's all you got to play the hand you're dealt and in this case you're dealt a very bad hand i mean she's not a sympathetic uh perpetrator she's also left a wide swath of evidence the dv allegations are weak because of again lack of corroboration lack of consistency in the reporting of what she said you know she had a diary or something you could go back to i mean Mm -hmm. it was just nothing and then on top of that to go well the smoking piece of evidence like the one big piece of evidence is this 911 call and going we've kind of already explained that because it's all part of the plan <laughs> yeah. and rather than i think you pivot and you go this was all talk this was posture she was puffery she did she never thought michael garza would do that she was doing it because she wanted attention because of whatever she made all this up. She's a big liar. Everything she says is a lie constantly, including all of the confessions. She's just a huge liar. I mm-hmm. mean, from a defense perspective, you really just have to play the hand you're dealt. And you have a liar as a client. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're looking for reasonable doubt, because that's all you have to have in a trial, pushing that, well, she made it up. Her story changed four times when she was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, between Sergeant Meek, Detective Burke. It was late at night. She in was less already... than 24 hours. Her story changed four times. Oh, four times. And she was lying to her husband consistently for all these years. Yeah. She was making all this stuff up to these guys. She was cheating on him. She just you cannot trust anything she says. And so when the prosecution goes, here she is telling exactly what happened. And she's texting exactly what she wanted to happen. All you can have is defense attorney is go. She was a liar, though. So you mm-hmm. really can't trust any of this evidence, right? Yeah, you kind of use use like you kind of try to flip it and use mm-hmm. what they're trying to use against you like back on them yeah i guess but they you're did right. not do that and that did not go well for them no i didn't see anything from family or friends of hers speaking to if she showed signs of these types of things before this happened as far as like previous relationships did you the only person i saw interviewed was a grade school friend was interviewed on dateline and said, well, we had lost touch. And then when she moved back to Roy City, because she was from Roy City, and she said, well, when she moved back, we kind of started talking again because of the cake business. 
And she mentioned that Bob was mean to her sometimes. But it wasn't like, oh, my gosh, as a friend of hers, I got to tell you she was so, you know, the friend was like, well, you know, she made cakes. Like, it wasn't, It, it it's also, I think, quite telling that in all of this, and it may be because their choices, they don't want to speak to the media, which whatever, it's, you know, there are more victims than just Bob's family. I mean, mm-hmm. she's got a kid, right, that didn't yeah. ask for any of this. Yeah, and sure. her parents are now, you know, caring for this kid. And so... You know, maybe they don't want to be involved, but it's it was striking the number of people willing to speak positively about Bob. And it, and again, nobody comes to her aid. And every story is Chasey's version versus what's been corroborated by yeah. reality and other witnesses. And so, again, she's the common denominator. She's the common denominator. Yeah. yeah. The state presented evidence that Chasey was on the hunt for someone to murder her husband for her. Message after message from Chasey described her wish for Bob to die. The state argued that she was already interested in Bob's money via the life insurance policy, but given the imminence of his divorce filing, she accelerated her plan to kill him. The jury convicted her of murder and sentenced her to life in prison with the possibility of parole. So they could have capital murder would have been life without parole or murder is life with the possibility of parole. And the reason why they up the charges, capital murder, is murder in certain circumstances. It's a peace officer, a person under 10 years old, or some other ones, or for remuneration. And so their argument was, we're charging her with capital murder because she didn't just kill him because she didn't like him. She didn't kill him because she didn't want to be with him. She killed him for or $680,000 of this life insurance policy. The jury, I think, disagreed. And, it, and I think on a technicality, really, when you talk about murder for remuneration to in order to kick it to capital murder you're really looking for for i'll give you ten thousand dollars if you murder this person for me Mm -hmm. or i will get so i think the jury thought that might have been her motive but she didn't murder someone she wasn't like for hire it wasn't like it was murder for hire and i think that's probably why the jury landed on murder which and she technically didn't pull the trigger well yeah which i i think in this case because she was uh responsible for orchestrating that's why they mm-hmm. convicted her of murder yes oh the, i absolutely yeah. think she should be versus conspiracy mm-hmm. both chasey and garza attempted to appeal their sentences in her appeal chasey complained that the statements she made to burke should not have been allowed at trial while sergeant meek had mirandized her on the scene she complained burke did not mirandize her again once she was brought to the station The appeals court found this unpersuasive, as Burke's interview was a continuation of what Meeks had started. Burke had confirmed with her that she had previously received her Miranda warning, and all written statements she made to police were on pre-printed documents that included written versions of the required warnings, with Chasey's initials beside each one. And that's a question they ask in Texas. It's called the Bible factors. That's like the ruling case law. And to say that she didn't get Mirandized before Burke, when Sergeant Meek gives her the full Miranda warning, and then when she sits down to talk to Burke, he goes, now, uh, Officer Meek gave you your Miranda warning, right? And she goes, yeah. He goes, and she, he told you, you know, you have the right to remain silent, all, all that. And she's like, yeah. So that's all he had to do was clarify. It was mm-hmm. also the same day. It was not mm-hmm. that many well, technically, it's a different day because it's after midnight. But, you know, it's not that many hours difference. It's not like she went home, went to sleep. They went and picked her back up and questioned mm-hmm. her again. So all of that was allowed in. And then there's 3822 is the Texas Code of Criminal Procedure of, like, the requirements. They've made Miranda warning a statutory requirement as well. So regardless of Miranda's uh, status as case law, 
under Texas criminal law, you have to provide these warnings. And whoever's in compliance at Roy City, great job, because they the document, they didn't just say, okay, write your statement on a piece of yellow legal paper. They said, okay, here's the pre-printed document that you're going to fill out these lines below, but read the top. And it was like, Every single line item. I understand I have the right to remain silent, initialed. I understand I have the right to an attorney, initialed. I mean, all straight down. So you so really- how when you have done all of that and your attorneys conceived on all that, why are they like, okay, yeah, but we'll still file this appeal because they know that they're not going to win it. So what's the point? I think you try you feel like, you know, you <laughs> but feel I like mean, you <laughs> I can try to be an astronaut, but I'm not going to be. And like, I understand that. Like, what's the point of trying? Like, if step one, you automatically see that, like, you don't have the stuff to file for this. So how did they even get to file it? There was another case we covered recently, too, where I was like, but they shouldn't have been allowed to even do that. Yeah, you're like, it's not even close. I mean, when I no. was watching the body and it wastes cam- everybody time and money to do shit like that. And I mean, it does. And especially under Texas law, given the, the Bible factors, it's I mean, it weighs every single factor. I don't know how an attorney with a straight face could have filed an appellate brief asking the court to grant her a new trial mm-hmm. based on those factors because it just so clearly matches like it's almost uh line for line like matches what happened to her matches what the requirements un- are under case law but i when we were watching the body cam footage i told paris i was like oh 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 he mirandized her and paris was like oh why is that i said because she's just going i mean she just started talking yeah. and at least sergeant meek had the foresight to go oh i want to make sure i can use all this later and so he he does it and she he gives her a full miranda warning yeah. on camera it's on camera you can watch what is also really interesting and you have to commend them too is this is a small police department like we said earlier they don't get a lot of murders certainly not something like this but they followed all the steps and we've covered a lot of cases recently with much larger police squads that are corrupt or just bungle the whole thing when there's more evidence than this even that something you know murder took place you're like i don't know i guess that they just killed themselves so i'm appreciate that they really took the time to like check all the boxes they're like we don't get this a lot so we got to make sure we don't fuck this up so you go in there with this letterhead and make sure every little box is checked t's are crossed our eyes are dotted we're not fucking this up oh for sure and i think having a well-trained police force it saves uh the community in general like issues of being arrested wrongfully or mm-hmm. you know convicted wrongfully but also in this case when you have now have a murderer that is not going to get a new trial is not going to go back on the streets because there was efficient properly followed procedures and like i said whoever's in compliance at roy city pd good job because in this case they made sure that this was airtight and all the footage having the body cams on and having the interrogation room filmed as well it just keeps everybody above board it keeps everybody doing what they should be doing and doing the right thing and i think you know the fact that it's the uh fire department uh, a fire department chief a well-respected figure of the community you're going to go make sure that you don't mess this up but like you said it's very hard to argue it can't be a he said she said situation when there's footage that shows exactly what was happening when all of these things went down and 
that's why we need that in with all law enforcement. So yeah. you don't have to fill in the gaps. It's yeah, all there for you to see. Policies, procedures, everybody's mm-hmm. on the same page. The DA is on the same page as the police department. So everybody knows what everybody's doing. Um, but you're right. I think uh, you got to try something. And I guess, this was yeah. weak, though, because Burke did exactly what he should do for his first homicide. He, he did, When he said, you've already been Mirandized. I'm reminding no, you, which on is him, a factor. Yeah. yeah. Tracy also argued that the jury should have been allowed to consider manslaughter, claiming she was merely reckless in luring Robert to be murdered that night. The appeals court disagreed, writing that there was not even a small shred of evidence supporting that she was reckless. On the contrary, there was significant evidence that she knew Garza had violent tendencies, saw his guns that night, expressed a desire in many writings that she wanted Robert gone and lured Robert to the deserted road. All of that evidence combined went to prove that she was way more than simply reckless that night. In Texas, the highest court for criminal appeals is the Court of Criminal Appeals. The Texas Supreme Court It's like two different things. And they got a lot of opinions to write. They got a lot of cases to go through. (laughs) You got a lot of opinions to say (laughs) and to write. But this one, they I was um, generally very pleased that they took the time to say, There was not even a mere scintilla of evidence that it would even ever be possible that she could possibly be reckless. Numerous misspellings. I like that, like, in all of these things, there's, like, subtle shade thrown that's unnecessary, but also warranted. It was as if whoever drafted this opinion was like, oh, no, I read Mm -hmm. this record and hell no. And I will also say I noted that when they quoted the text message of her wanting him gone, they chose to type it in all caps because Mm -hmm. she had typed it in all caps. I want him all caps, G-O-N-E. And And that says a lot. Yes, yes. And so I think the when the appeals court was like, we don't even have time to list all the amounts of evidence, but under no... It would not be reasonable to expect a jury would ever say that she did a little oopsie and happened to have him come out there just for an oopsie. It was like this was part of a clearly not a well-planned, but a it was premeditated conspiracy to do this. Garza attempted to appeal on the grounds that the judge should have granted him a mistrial after Detective Burke testified that Chasey said Garza killed her husband. During the trial, the judge struck the comment from the record, but denied Garza's attorney's request for a mistrial. The appellate court later upheld the trial court judge's decision, denying Garza's request to appeal. Very legally dorky thing. Uh, His attorney objected at the time Mm -hmm. only to the fact that it was non-responsive. He should have also objected at the time for another grounds. And because of that wrong objection, their appeal got denied. What does that mean? So the defense attorney said, Sergeant Burke, you understood my question about what your belief about Chasey's credibility was. Did she give you any, uh, based upon your conversation with her, this is the defense attorney, based upon your conversation with Chasey, you didn't have much faith in her credibility. Isn't that right? And Detective Burke said, well, she did say Michael Garza killed her husband. Mm -hmm. And defense counsel said, judge, I'm going to object. That's non-responsive. Because he pretty much asked a yes or no question. Okay, so the non-responsive means he didn't answer the question that was asked. He just made a statement that now we got to deal with that shouldn't have been said. And the defense counsel says, objection, non-responsive. The trial court judge says, sustained. I'm going to ask, the defense said, I'm going to ask that the jury be instructed to disregard that comment. Well, you can't unring a bell. I mean, the court says, please disregard that last comment. Defense counsel says, judge, I'm going to move for a mistrial. Judge says, denied. And so then they continue. Well, the issue is, 
So he text he uh, objected on non-responsive grounds. He also should have objected on why the testimony was inadmissible. So he should have said, Judge, I'm objecting because that's non-responsive and that's hearsay. Because what the mm-hmm. just said was, she said Michael Garza killed her husband. He's trying to get that in for the truth of the matter asserted. Classic hearsay. Then, you know, the other, the, the state would say, uh, you know, we argue that it's not hearsay, whatever. You could fight it out. But all he said was non-responsive. So that does not preserve your error for appeal. And so the appellate decision in Michael Garza's case is like pretty short because they kind of lay out what happened. And they said, we have the record. His attorney just said objection non-responsive. Mm-hmm. He didn't also say why it was not admissible. And so because of that, we have to find, you Damn. know, we let the ruling stand, which just goes to show you it is very important that you get a highly skilled lawyer when your freedom mm-hmm. is on the line. Could you then appeal on ineffective counsel? Ineffective assistance of counsel. You could try anything, right? You could well, try. I get not in my court, but in, <laughs> not by Judge Christie and others, apparently. So, uh, but yeah, I mean that's that's the sole issue that he brought up on appeal was that interesting the, an error in denial of a uh, the motion for a mistrial. Mm. Yeah, a lot of times you can get a lot more in under ineffective assistance of counsel than you would if they say, "Well, we don't think like you like exactly what you're pointing it's out." Broader. Well, yeah, and it and also if it's not a like a recognized right that's been yeah. violated, then you at least say, "Well, but if I had a better lawyer, this would not have happened." Yeah, so a, I mean, that probably subjective. would have been a better appeal. But well, see, this is why I'm a judge. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Great legal advice. Both Chasey and Garza are serving their sentences in separate Texas correctional facilities over 100 miles outside of Dallas. They will both be eligible for parole in 2046. Chasey will be 59 and Garza will be 67. According to 48 Hours, Bob's parents and Chasey's mom and stepdad share custody of their young daughter. Bob's three daughters split his life insurance proceeds. His mom, Candy, told Dateline that she still misses her son, with whom she was so close saying took me a long time to get over bobby's phone calls they weren't coming through anymore however she said just as bob had promised the firefighters in his battalion have stepped up ensuring that bob's family is taken care of when i saw this part waterworks i was just crying and paris walked in and goes oh my god are you okay and i was like his mom and i just started telling him especially when you've talked 10 to 15 times a day that's a huge void in your life and not i mean in your every every day you know i mean that's it's awful especially again like we said at the beginning you have to come to terms with all right my son is a firefighter living there's a good chance that i could lose him in this line of Mm -hmm. work but you don't think you're going to get a call that he was murdered on the side of a road and his wife orchestrated the killing for money for yeah. you know and 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 if he were to die in a fire emergency situation likely it would be oh but he got these people out you know he yeah, saved yeah, these yeah. people he on was his a way. hero mm-hmm. you know and i think uh, his mother said that something similar she said you know he had so much more he was only 47 when he passed yeah. away she told josh mankowitz you know he was a young man he had so much more life to live and she said he had so many more lives to save oh yeah and, but you think about that like, we always talk about sliding doors moment or fate mm-hmm. and you're like that is now a huge loss for that community, I mean, for people that he was going to say, yeah. not only just his family and those in his life, but 
as a leader for his battalion, you know, because he was a captain, he was in charge mm-hmm. of stuff, you know, it's. If you want to get more cerebral about it, like the butterfly effect, him being gone, like whose life would he have saved if, if he had not been murdered and how could that have changed things? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you see like the people that are suffering immediately from his loss, but the long-term effect of losing someone like that, I think, is immeasurable. Yeah, the ripple effect. Mm-hmm. And especially, I think, the really hard part is his the once tiny daughter, who's now, I mean, grown up, this has been yeah. a couple of years, but, you know, six, seven years old, lose both your parents like that because your mom is just selfish, short-sighted. Yeah. It's, that's, it's a real uh, shitty way to start your life out, for mm-hmm. sure. Well, we've covered a lot of what we think, but... So what do we think? Yeah, I think uh, I think we covered it. I just <laughs> this one really has. I mean, I had like I was I had to journal about like why I was so disturbed by this, and I think it mm, was it's just triggering. very not that all crime isn't senseless, but it's another uh, it's taking it to the extreme of just mm-hmm. a hero person that helps people every day killed by just trash, just that mm-hmm. d- didn't give a shit about human life, wants money, wants attention, wants whatever. Um, I am particularly disgusted with her and really have got a lot of, I harbor a lot of animosity toward her. Yeah, it's incredible to watch someone just bold-faced lie and put Mm -hmm. on an act to cops and interviewers when you're like, girl, we have like hours of footage that show us what happened like mm-hmm. give it give it up who are you kidding anymore and i think the answer is you're kidding yourself because she wants to continue to play the victim role and maybe be able to just free her own conscience of whatever you know mm-hmm. if you tell yourself like well it wasn't really my fault eventually maybe you start to believe it i think she manipulated every guy in her life mm-hmm. and thought that she could keep doing it you know, even beyond, you know, committing this horrible crime. And, uh, you know, she met her match and will now, I suppose, see the light of day possibly before she turned 60. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you're eligible for parole in 2046, does that really mean she can't come up for parole before then? Correct. Yeah. Aren't, a lot of times, aren't they? don't they say that, but then they, like, get out early anyways? Uh, well, I mean, that d- depends on case by case. Generally speaking, if you get a life sentence, you have to serve, in Texas, 30 years, and then you're eligible for uh, parole. Okay. So that'll okay. be 46 will be 2016. Gotcha. So it'd be 30 years from whenever you're... I'm assuming she was incarcerated, a pending trial, because in the 48 Hours interview, I thought it was extremely effective when they eventually at the end pan down and you see that she is shackled. Yes, you haven't realized the whole time that she's been in handcuffs. And I I agree that was it was a very well produced ser- interview for yeah. or special, like the way it was told and everything. And uh, Peter Van Zandt is a badass and doesn't let her get away with shit, which I really uh, appreciate. She doubles down, though. She sticks to her story and continues to say that she, it was an accident. He wasn't intended to die and that she's this, you know, grieving victim. Yeah. And I'm glad that 48 Hours interviewed his ex-wife and his two adult Mm -hmm. daughters. And then Dateline interviewed his mother and his two sisters, just allowing him to have a voice in all this and all the coverage um, and that. You can tell, though, he's just left a huge hole in all their lives. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, the firefighters say that they can't walk by his locker without 
getting choked up and that it's just something they still can't really wrap their heads around. I don't think you ever do because it's just, I mean, it's so horrific that you never think something like that's going to happen to your husband, friend, ex-husband, father, whatever. Uh, Isn't it wild to think that she will probably get out before she's 60. And that just, again, goes to show how young all of this started for her. Like, yeah. 60 is still pretty young. Yeah. So yes. she'll still have, like, a, a second life when she when she gets out. If she gets out. I mean, if possibly. she does, yeah. yeah. Uh, you're right, though. 59 is not... Uh, you still got a lot of living to do. Yeah, and that's so- what I'm saying. She just started this whole thing so young. That it's like you you fucked your whole life up. And that's why I'm really interested to know, like, what her life was like before that. Because I don't think you just get to 20 years old and then start behaving this way. I mean, I I imagine there was a history of uh, manipulation, abuse. Perhaps she was a victim herself. I'd be very interested to know how it all went down. Well, it's interesting to see what happens when someone who is has a mind toward manipulation, taking advantage, meets with a person who is upstanding, helpful, mm-hmm. and like the like we said, there's a power imbalance based on their ages. You know, in theory, you'd think he's more in power because he's mm-hmm. older, he's wealthier, but also if he is a so help you know generous kind helpful whatever and you think well i'm just helping her out like i'm just being a nice guy and really you're getting lured in the reality is the power imbalance is actually in her favor yeah ironically and i think that's it played out to the most extreme saddest degree Mm -hmm. but i hope his uh all all of his daughters and his family and everybody can find solace in each other because this is just and the funeral like she said there's footage of it in the 48 hours it's um firefighters from all over Texas traveled to be there and it was very ceremonial and um, a really nice tribute to his life and what he meant to that department. Well, on a perhaps happier note, Heather, what do we have coming up in goodness? I'm looking at the date less than two weeks. Yeah. It's almost one exact almost one, week. one. Yes. By the time you all hear this, it will be eight days Wow. And in eight days on October 20th. Wasn't the ring eight days? I think it was seven days, but for the sinisterhood, it's eight days. (laughs) Okay, there you go. In eight days on October 27th, from wherever you are, you can hang out with us in our hometown of Dallas. We're going to have a super fun time. We're going to hang out at the Texas Theater. If you're here, come hang out with us. If not, go to moment.co slash sinisterhood, and you can just hang out with us from wherever you're at. Like we say, you want to wear a costume? Wear a costume. If your costume is Winnie the Pooh in it around your house, we won't know because you're, you're behind a camera. So, you, mm-hmm. well, we're in front of a camera. You're on the other side of it. So we won't see. Dress as, come as you are, but go to moment.co slash sinisterhood where you can get not only access to our moment, which will be live on the 27th, but it's also up for 10 days after. So if you can't really make it on the 27th, but you still want to be a part of stuff, Don't worry about it. Just go ahead and get your spot now. You can also order our exclusive shirt. It's only for that night. It's only available. So good looking. Love it. It's so badass. It's real like it's fun, but also edgy. It just has a real like nice look about it. We went we got a all new fresh design and we are very into it. It's like perfect for the season for spooky Mm -hmm. season. So if you go to moment.co slash sinisterhood, you can get your moment ticket. And you can get your shirt. If you're a Patreon subscriber, there's a special coupon code for 25% off of your moment ticket. Make sure you join Patreon to get that. But if you're in Dallas, go to sinisterhood.com slash live shows and get your live in-person ticket. You can also get the shirt 
in person in Dallas. Uh, but either way, we're going to have a really good time. I'm excited. I have a special announcement. Uh-oh. I don't know this. You don't because it just happened last night at dinner. What? I was telling Ella about the show and she was asking about it. I said, if you want, you can come to the theater and, and see the theater and, and stuff and see what what I do. And she goes, I want to come on stage. Uh-oh. And I said, all right. We're doing so, it. So I think both of my kids are going to come on stage. <laughs> <laughs> they just want uh, – I have to bring Simon because Ella – but Ella – I think she she doesn't really she she knows what I do but she doesn't really and she's yeah. never seen like it in a live show context so I think it's going to be really cool for her to like see the theater and see people and be like oh my mommy sits up here and and talks to these people yeah so and TBD on if she'll be in costume it'll just be for a second <laughs> but she is Ella and Simon are going to be making an appearance no pedal but we I'm can sorry do live pedal stream. doesn't travel. <laughs> Well, what's better than Petal, Ella, and Simon? We could get them in costume, bring them out, and uh, they, be we great. could. It's gonna be great. They're gonna be aliens. So, well, if you're not in Dallas and you want to see an actual alien invasion happen on stage, <laughs> we have two extraterrestrials in full costume. Go to sinisterhood.com/slash/live-shows. You can come here in person or watch it remotely from wherever you're at. Moment. Gosh, I've just put so much pressure on myself to get them in full costume and everything for this Moment, show. Go to moment.co slash Dennisterhood. <laughs> we love providing Sinisterhood to you at no cost. So if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We're a small operation, creating the show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like ad-free episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those enrolling the airwaves and getting into it tier, a special shout-out on the show, a monthly bonus mini-sode, and patron-exclusive video and audio content, including Am I the Asshole, Relationship Advice, Judge Christie, Dear Sinister, True Crime Headlines, and more. And patrons in the Getting Into It tier are able to vote on a bonus content segment each month. They would like to see us live stream. Our live stream this month is going to be October 20th, Thursday at 8 p.m. Central. We are most likely, the voting's going on right now, but by a landslide, we are going to roast some costumes. I went to a costume shop today and took about 20 pictures that I'm very <laughs> excited to show you. I'm going to make them into a PowerPoint and I'm, I'm going to so go on the internet. Excited. Find some shit and as well. We will also be in costume. We'll Multiple be in costume. costumes. <laughs> It's not complete yet, but I believe I have gotten seven out of ten of the top ten worst Halloween candies that we can try as well. And I got three different kinds of special Halloween Reese's items that we can compare and say which ones are best. Thank you so much. No, I'm excited. It's fucking Halloween, dog. I'm excited. (laughs) I gotta go do some shit. I'm bringing over some costumes. Even better. We have a lot of costumes, so I'll bring those over and put them in the box, too, so we can Zoom surprise each other throughout the hour of costume changes. Get our I love on. a costume change. So. Oh, yeah. But only uh, what I mean by that is, like, Halloween costume change. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to, like, have to multiple mul- change outfits multiple times in an no. evening for any other reason. You also have the fun perk of access to our Discord server, where you can connect with other fans in real time and discuss the latest in true crime, share personal ghost stories, or just post adorable pictures of your pets. We hop on occasionally, and we host monthly Q&As on Crowdcast, where you can ask us all of your burning questions, our 
Crowdcast Q&A for this month is happening tonight, 8 p.m. Central. There's already a lot of questions in there. You can go in, submit one. We take the top 20 and answer them. Sometimes we even go over 20 because we're just feeling it and it's fun. The chat's always popping. It's a great time. Maybe we'll be in costumes for this. We got a new studio set up. It's going to be dope. Please come join us. For patrons not in the U.S., you have the option to pay in pounds or euros, saving you the cost of the conversion fee. Annual memberships for all tiers are also now available. Those that select this option will be rewarded with a free month of membership. For more details on all of this and specific member tiers, visit Sinisterhood.com and click Patreon on the top banner. And make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. If you want to get some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com. Click on shop on the top banner. If you want the very exclusive moment live show only shirt, you got to go to moment.co slash Sinisterhood. Be live in the moment if you already have your ticket or come to the Texas Theater on October 27th and get yours in person. The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. You can also share any episode by clicking the three dots in the top right corner and share topic-based playlists from Spotify by visiting sinisterhood.com slash playlist. All of this means so much to us and really helps podcasts like us get more exposure. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod. Like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. We're also on YouTube and TikTok at Sinisterhood Podcast. Christy, where are you at on the computer? I'm on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and on Twitter and TikTok at Christy or GTFO. Heather? I'm on Twitter at MCK versus the world and on TikTok and Instagram at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shoutouts. Elise Katz. Davina Vera. Ashley Joy. Happy Musonda. Kristen Freilich. Jenna Patterson. Kenya Garcia. Olivia Hartman. Rachel Stewart. Emily Purvis. Brittany Crisp. Renee Gaston. Razel Frey. Jess. Jacqueline Faust. Gail Hader. Timmy Dewan. And Francis Chilcutt. Thank you so much for supporting the show. We sincerely appreciate it. We could not do this without you. We hope we pronounce your names correctly. And we hope we see you at our show on October 27th, either in person or via the moment. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. <laughs> Sin and-